You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. In Psalm 103, so let me just kind of stop for a moment before I get to my notes and say that we will be studying Psalm 103 for the next three weeks. We're going to be looking at it in three different sections. It's, 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 here's the desire of my heart. Before I even get to any of my notes, and this is off the top of my head, and I'm going to pray. It doesn't go too long. Um, so here's the, here's the desire of my heart. What I've seen since post-COVID-19 in my own life, first in my own life, because I've been told through seminary and through Bible college, the only sermons that really matter are the ones that have been preached in the pastor's life before they're ever preached to the congregation. Um, because if we're not living it out, if we're not being challenged, why should we even get up here and give a challenge? Um, so here's what I've been seeing in post-COVID-19. It's really hard to be grateful. It's really hard. Every shot taken hurts a little bit more. Everything seems like it's coming down. And so one of the things that I want to do is encourage you, as long as encouraging myself, to be thankful, to be grateful. Because I know for myself, before we left, and, you know, it's easy to be grateful when you're out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and um, seeing blue water and it's beautiful. Before we left, my grateful uh, meter was on flat E. It was hard to be grateful in the midst of all the things that have been going on post-COVID. And so, I want you to take the next three weeks, not just on Sundays, and work at being grateful. Work at it. The minute you decide to get angry about something, stop and think. Maybe I'm not seeing it the right way. Maybe I'm taking something that's not the way it should be taken. Maybe I need to grow. Maybe this needs to happen. There's a whole lot of maybes. And so this morning, I want to start on this, this adventure going down Psalm 103. And I want to start this morning the message with a thank you. You can put the next slide up. This is part of the next slide. There's some pictures from our cruise. I want to say thank you to everyone for their very kind words of encouragement Throughout the previous month, with our blessing of the pastor, I called it the blessing of the pastor wall, the thing that you presented to me, what a wonderful, encouraging gift given to me and my family. I got to tell you, it came at a time it was desperately needed, but that's par for the course with God. He often brings things what we need when we need it, and not a minute earlier or not a minute later. These last couple of years have been a struggle to see the forest from the trees, there have been, or the trees from the forest, there have been times of great discouragement. And then there have been times of wonderful, refreshing encouragement. I have a feeling I'm not alone in those feelings of many of you have been through great trials or are facing them right now. You have, I am sure, been through wonderful times of refreshing encouragement as well. As I sit in my office, as I sat in my office and thought about this coming this sermon series a few weeks ago or a month ago, I thought of Thanksgiving and Christmas. I thought of what it was 
that we as a congregation must do to best encounter these times on our calendar. Now, for those who are going to get angry at me right now and say, why are you thinking about Christmas? We haven't even had Thanksgiving. Trust me, as a pastor, you don't just go into the Christmas season and throw it together the first day of Advent. You got to think ahead. So don't get too mad at me yet. The Lord clearly said, would you please slow down? Would you please breathe in my faithfulness? Let me restore your thankfulness meter. Because if we're honest in times like we are facing in this world, the temptation is to be like those represented on the next screen. Go ahead. That's the temptation. To become bitter, hurtful, prideful. That's the temptation. And what we do when we become those things, those people that are represented, they're not real people, they're Google images. But it, it, when you become those people and react in those ways, what we don't understand as Christians is, is that what we do is we dilute the praise of God when we become like that. We dilute it. You cannot praise God and be bitter on the same point. You cannot praise God with all of your heart, soul, and mind as you should and be hurtful. You cannot praise God as the God who knows all things and be prideful. You can't. Because when you're prideful, you are saying to God, God, I'm a little bit better than you are. I know this situation a little better than you do. When you're hurtful, you are not treating God's creation like you should. When you're bitter, when you're bitter, you're saying God somehow screwed up your life. Somehow didn't give you the, the right tools. You're saying God is imperfect in the way that he made you. Now, if this is stomping on your toes right about now, trust me, it's been stomping on your pastors for the last three weeks. When you're bitter, when you're hurted, hurt, when you're prideful, when you think the world revolves around you, you dilute God's praise. You water it down. You can't praise God with all of your heart and be bitter. You can praise him, but there's a little portion of it that's fake. Understand that. So we are going to spend the next three weeks in Psalm 103. A little background to this psalm is written in response to Exodus 34, verses 6 or 7. By the way, there's a sermon outline in your bulletin on that white sheet. Here's what it says in Psalm 30, or Exodus 34, 6 or 7. And he possessed, or he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and excuse me, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In essence, Psalm 103 is a poetic celebration of that very event that's on the screen this morning. It's where Yahweh reveals himself to Moses as a God of generous love and extravagant forgiveness. Exodus 34 is one of the Old Testament's more powerful, most powerful statements on faith and theology of God's character. You want to know who God is and how he acts? Read Exodus 34, 6 or 7. It's the most, one of the most powerful statements in the Old Testament on God's theology, on God's action, on God's character, and on faith. It's my thought, and I believe you'll agree by the end of this psalm, that when we grasp what is being said here in the psalm, we will have a full thankfulness um, tent. But when we, like many behind us, forget these things, we run the risk of growing, going into dark roads and not being thankful at all. And that brings us back to actually diluting or watering down the praise of God in our lives. So here's what I'm saying. Let's put it straight. As long as we don't see God for who he is, by that statement that's on your screens this morning and in your bulletin, as long as we don't understand who God is and how great he is and how good he is, even in the midst of the crud that hits the fan in our world, we will always dilute his praise. We will never get out of bitterness. We'll always have something to be mad about. But when we see God for who he truthfully is, then and only then our thankfulness gauge will be in full. I want you to understand something. This happens quickly with little to no thought. In fact, it requires more work to be on the side of praising God and keeping in a thankful mindset than going down the dark roads of frustration and being angry at everyone and anything. That's the easy way in essence. It is. I'm telling you that if you want to be a thankful person that praises God for all that he does in your life and continue that action, buckle your seatbelt. Because at every corner, at every turn, at every, at every opportunity, there will be a reason to be mad. There will be a reason to forget how thankful you really are. That's the easy way. May I suggest that's why the world is pretty much living it out. Because it's the easy way. It's easy to be bitter. It's easy to be upset. It's easy to be angry. It's easy to, to somehow say that God doesn't understand. But oh, where the work comes in for a believer is to understand Psalm 103 and put it into action. And literally do what the old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus where all the world things become dim. That's work. It's not easy. We've tried to make it easy. The church has preached that it's easy, unfortunately. But it's not. Because it's countercultural. 
do you just, just imagine this for a second? And I did this in my, in my office, and I sat back one day and I said, can you imagine if we actually live out Psalm 103, how the news would look at nighttime? It wouldn't look like it looks now. Now, you know what sells tickets to newscasts? Bad news. Good news doesn't. We as believers celebrate good news. When we see a good story on the news, we get excited. Our heart kind of jumps like, that's awesome. That's great that that guy saved that guy, and that guy did this, and that guy did that. But the world, those who don't know Jesus, they like to celebrate the darkness because it's comfortable. So let's look at these, this, these, this, this song. The first two verses say these words. I believe they'll be on the screen. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, these verses are reminders to everyone. Yes, everyone. They're, they're a reminder to you. But here's what I found interesting in doing a little background study of this psalm. David is actually writing this to remind himself. Wait, wait. David, a man after God's own heart, has to remind himself why to be thankful to God? You got it. And why do you think that you struggle with it? David, a guy that we write about, that we read about, that we, you know, he defeated Goliath, for goodness sakes. He shouldn't struggle with these things. Yeah, he does. And so do you. So do I. And so David is writing this to, to everyone, but he's writing this to himself, and we just get to, we get to watch what is happening. And they're calling to give us praise to Yahweh, where praise belongs, not in ourselves. Notice where the praise belongs. And every one of you said this in your praise times. Not that if you didn't, I was going to call you on the carpet about it. But you did. You said praise to the Lord. Because the light tonight doesn't, doesn't happen without the Lord. I'm just going to pick on that praise. That's a Lord thing. That's not a faith church thing. That's a Lord thing. The Lord guides it. The Lord brings the people in. The Lord does those things. And then so we give him praise. We don't praise ourselves. We don't say, yeah, we did a really knockout job there. That's wonderful. I mean, it's good to encourage each other like that. But we got to remember who gave us the breath to do it. And sometimes we forget. I know I do. And so David starts us off and he says, listen, I want to praise the Lord. I don't want the praise to be on my head or on my heart. I want it to go to him. He's in essence not just reminding us because the words here have given indication that he's kind of talking to himself. As I said earlier, we've all been there. Things aren't going as we think they should. We're going in any way that as they should. And we talk ourselves through it, Right? Reminding ourselves, God is good in spite of all that I see. God is good. God is good. God is good. You almost talk it so much because you want to believe it and you know in the deepness of your heart you're struggling to believe it. Here's, here the psalmist reminds us, 
is a reminder for all of us sitting here this morning, Yahweh, he is so different than the created world. And that's what he's going to set us up for here in these first five verses. He wants us to see that the God we worship is not like us in the world. He doesn't react the same. He doesn't do the same things. Thank God. But you know what has happened? What has happened is, is that the longer we go in church history, there's, there's, this, there's this temptation to bring God down to our box. And so that he acts and lives and walks like us. Why do we do that? Because the temptation is, is and then, then I can say, well, look, I'm not, as, I'm not as far off the path as I need to be. Because God's in my box. He's not up there. He's not holy. He's not, he's not grand. He's not all those things. He's in my box. And he acts like me. And so, so he agrees with me on every issue. And, he, and of course I'm doing the Lord's will on every issue. And all the while we're falling short because the fact of the matter is is that God is not like us, never was, never will be close to us in the sense of how he acts. He's always close to you. See, that's what David is seeing is, is that in his world, they've made this box. And, and there's indication, I'm not going to say it happened, but there's indication that David as the leader is looking at this and saying, I think I've created a box. And I think my God acts like me. And that's dangerous. So the psalmist calls these benefits. He says, forget not the benefits of following God when you follow God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Here are the benefits that you get. Now, what, what benefits lead to is, is that we think of benefits in a salary package. I do this, he does this. He does this, I do this. That's not the way it works with God. And so what I want you to know is, is that I've kind of changed the wording within the wording, and what I'm calling these are unmerited blessings, because they are. You do nothing to receive them. In fact, in a lot of those places, you and I do the exact opposite that we should get what's opposite of what his benefits are. But he chooses to give these benefits to us out of his great love and compassion. Not because you're a rock star with your Bible study. Not because you're living every step the right way. Not because you completed the Bible study. Not because you've grown up in the church. Not because your parents have brought you to church since you've been knee high. Not because of any of that. It is unmerited. You've done nothing other than accepting his son. That's it. And right there, some of you are feeling very uncomfortable because in America, you got to do something to get something. And we've Americanized God. 
And we've said no one should give us anything without doing something. We've got to work hard, man. Okay? If that's your theology of God, I'm going to start right there. You better break that box this morning. Because that box will lead you down a road of destruction. I've followed that box for years. Got to do more. Got to do more. God's not pleased with me. I missed my devotions this morning. I got to do two devotions tonight. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do more, 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 more. You know what that brings? Frustration. Bitterness. Anger. Instead of resting in his love and compassion for you. And understanding tomorrow is a new day with new graces and new mercies. And so here are the benefits, the unmerited blessings. Number one, forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sin. Who forgives all of our sins, it says in Psalm 103, verse, verse, 103, verse 3, the first half of it. So why does he start here? Why does David start right here with forgiveness of sins? He realizes something. And it's something that, 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 you know, some people will say, well, I don't understand why you have to preach this at a church full of people. I mean, we're at church, aren't we? If you miss the relationship with God, none of the other benefits are going to even matter. If you miss the fact that his son died on the cross, and you somehow think you can skip over that and that you can still have a relationship with him, you are sadly mistaken, friends. I don't care if you've been in church for 40 years or 60 years or 30 years or two days. If you don't have the solid relationship with him nailed down first, all these other benefits fall at the wayside. And so David starts here because it's here that the relationship starts. Now, not in David's day, but here the relationship starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. It didn't happen yet for Psalm 103. But it starts where Jesus went to the cross with everyone in this room and everyone in the world on his mind. And he knew how we were going to respond to him. He knew what we were going to do. He knew we were going to get ticked at this person or ticked at that person. He knew all of that stuff, and he still didn't stop himself from going to the cross. Why? If there's, nothing, if there's nothing else you grasp this morning, it's because he yearns. He deeply desires a relationship with you. For youth here this morning, for kids here this morning, not a relationship with your parents. He desires a relationship with you. You. For older folks here, it's not about walking into this place. He desires a relationship with you. 
I mean, church attendance is great and everything, and I highly encourage it. But at the end of the day, it's not everything. You know, the old saying is, is this, and, and then I'll move on to the next point. It's, 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 the old saying is, is that you can stand in a garage for all day and you still aren't going to become a mechanic. That's true for me. All right, Michelle will come home and she'll say to me sometimes, she'll say, hey, Brett, um, I almost said Pastor Brett. She does not call me Pastor Brett. She'll say, hey, pa- hey Brett, uh, on my way home, the, the, not now, we, we took care of that problem, but the check engine light came on. And I'll just joke with her. I'll get a smile on my face, and I'll go, did you, check the, uh, did you check the windshield washer fluid? And she'll just kind of smile back, and she'll like, it's not the windshield washer fluid. That has nothing to do with the check-in. And I know that, but I'm not a mechanic. I can stand in a garage all day long. I will not become a mechanic. I don't know the first thing I'm looking at. I'm going to be honest with you. They, they, they amaze me. I don't know what is going on. Here's the deal. You can sit in a church for 50 plus years. It doesn't make you any more of a Christian. Period. You can sit. You can learn. You can do all these things. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not a follower of Christ. Period. And I know that's hard. Well, what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't start with this stuff that's important? There's too many false promises out there. I hear it all the time. People who are far from Christ. Never, never even had a relationship with Christ. And, and I see it all the time. Well, they're, they're celebrating in heaven. No, they're not. It's a hard truth. But they're not. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him. And what that's talked about is, is here's the next screen, will be what's on the, been on the back of the bulletin for many weeks. It's changed now. I change it every month. But, but this is what a relationship with Christ looks like. This is what forgiveness is. There's this gap between God, who is the, the, um, the, 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 the um, yeah, on the other side where the person isn't, and, and there's this gap. And the only remedy to the gap, it's not knowing more about the Bible. It's not growing in God, it's not coming to church. The only remedy is the cross for Christ to get to God. That's it. It's not do your spiritual exercises. There's only one remedy, and David starts with this remedy. (coughs) Excuse me. Because he understands it. And he wants not only himself to remember this but he wants all those readers afterwards to remember this well the holy spirit does i'm not saying david knew that this was all going to go down like it did but the holy spirit puts it in there to show us that david a man after god's own heart has to remind himself that it starts with forgiveness if you don't have that there's no reason to go on to benefit number two Because that's what's important. But we will go on to unmerited blessing number two, and that is this. Healing of diseases. Healing of diseases. He says there, and he heals all your diseases. 
Psalm 103.1. Now, I've struggled with this one, let me tell you. <laughs> this week I've been like, but here's what I will say the psalmist is reminding himself of and us, that God can heal. He can heal anybody he wants to. He doesn't, and that doesn't make sense to us. And I don't know how to answer that question, and it hurts. Because there's nothing more that I would want to see as my grandmother healed. She never got to see Freddie in serenity because she went before they were ever a part of our lives. And there are times that I struggle with that. Why? I don't have the answers. And to try to answer it is to dangerously get close to a dangerous theology. It's, it's hard. So I want to admit that this morning. The Lord will plague you with, in Deuteronomy 28, he gives us another thing that might, does, that might help us to understand what he means by healing all of our diseases. In Deuteronomy 28, it says, the Lord will plague you with, with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought. Now, this is obviously not written to us, but with the blight and mildew, which will plague you into until your parish. It wasn't written to us, but it was written to, to David's time. And here in the Bible, the, the title here is Curses for Disobedience. You can turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy 28. That's what it will say. Well, something like that. NIV says Curses for D Disobedience. Let's remember the time that David is writing. Yesterday we were... Again, don't get too mad at me. We were putting up Christmas decorations because it was 74, and I wanted to do it when it was 74, not 24, all right? And so we started to put up, and, and I hit my hand with a, with a hammer because I'm not a, a construction guy. And, and, and do you know that this little cut here that the, that the hammer caused? I can't even remember what hand it was on, but this looks like it was. This little cut that the hammer could have killed someone back in that day. Could have simply killed somebody. A cut because they didn't have neosporin they didn't have band-aids just a little cut could have killed someone and so David here is saying listen I heal, heal you of all your diseases maybe what he's saying is is that you know when you make it to your 20s back in this day that's a small miracle it's not like today like, I'm thinking about it, I would have been gone a year, two years ago in this day and age. I'm pretty sure they didn't have heart valves. And so David's speaking to a people who one little sickness could kill them. And so it's a different context that we're talking about here. But spiritual blessing number three, or unmerited blessing number three is this, redeeming your life from the pit. And this kind of goes with number two. Here's what it says. Who redeems your life from the pit? Remember those most desperate times in your life when you felt like you were sinking? Sometimes they're pre-Christ and sometimes they're post-Christ. And I want to be clear on that. You know, pre-Christ, there was times in our lives where we felt like everything was falling apart. And then there's post-Christ times when we feel like everything is falling apart. We feel like we're in quicksand. We can't get out. 
Here's what David is saying. You've been to the grave, either spiritually or physically, and he has redeemed you from that pit. Friends, he puts us on solid ground. He lifts us out of that quicksand and he puts us somewhere where we can get solid footing. It's an unmerited blessing. We don't do anything to deserve it. If he was a sick God, he could stand there and watch us sink in the quicksand and say, you gonna listen to me now? And some believe that's the kind of God he is. It's not true. He's saying to you, look, you might feel like you're in a pit right now. You might feel like you're sinking. Would you put your trust in me to move you out of the pit and put you on firm footing? Unmerited blessing number four is the, is the, is the main thrust of this entire message that David is giving us. Love and compassion. He crowns you with love and compassion. This is the continued theme. You're going to hear about this for the next three weeks. Love and compassion, love and compassion, love and compassion. It's a reminder to God's people of the covenant between them and him. It's a reminder to us today of the new covenant that is not based on our good deeds, but his death and resurrection. Remember, he, he made that covenant so it didn't depend on us like the old covenant depended on Israel. He made a new covenant that depends on two things, that he died on a cross and that he rose from the grave. And he sealed the deal. And he said, when you believe in that, you're a part of that. And so I don't look at you as a fallen human being. I don't look at you as a person who is messing up. This is God speaking. What I look at you as is my child. My child. The one I paid for. The one I take care of. This right here is God saying to his people, every time I look at you, it's not with disgust. Nor is it with a wish that you were somehow better. No, every time I look at you, I do so with love and compassion. Now let's remember this is for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is perhaps one thing that separates him from the rest of us mankind. Don't we get impressions of people? <laughs> I know I do. And hold on to them for years. Right? We don't forgive well. We just talked about this in Sunday school class. Even though for those growing in Christ, they are different, but we must, most times, don't give God the opportunity to change them. I see it from time to time. 
I live it from time to time. You did me wrong. That's who you are the rest of your life. That's not godly, folks. That's not what God desires. Unless you're six feet underground, done with this life, you have a chance to change. You do. And everyone that is God's creation has that opportunity. But what happens is, is that we don't give them that opportunity. But this is about God. And God doesn't hold to the same standards as we do. It's a shame, but it's true. He doesn't look at me as my 2001 self. He looks at me as if I am my September Oh, yeah, wrong date. November 6, 2022, self. Remember back then, Pastor Brett, when you really messed up? Remember that? Remember in 2001 when you gave me attitude and you didn't respond to me the way you should have? Remember that? He doesn't say those things, but we believe he does. because he's full of love and compassion. And we're going to see next week what he does with those things. That's why many of our thankfulness meters are pushing beyond E at times. We've got to remember God's faithfulness to us, and then we must age, be an agent of that faithfulness to others right here. Again, speaking to those who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we don't do it perfectly, but we should be pursuing it. And then comes unmerited blessing number five. Satisfies and strengthens for life. Who satisfies your desires with good things. God satisfies means he keeps his end of the co covenantal love. He satisfies the deal, folks. He doesn't write a check too big to cash. No, he pays the ultimate price that we cannot repay. He satisfies our desires, not with our wishes <clears throat> or even what we deserve, but with his everlasting, extravagant love and compassion. But he also strengthens us. And if there's one thing besides having a relationship with Jesus Christ that I want you to walk out of here with, it's this. If you're feeling a little drag, you're feeling down, Rainy days tend to do that. But in Isaiah 40, 30, 30 through 31, it says these words, even youths grow tired and weary. Notice those words. I, I didn't catch this. I've seen this verse thousands of times. I didn't catch this until this past week. Even youths. That means even those younger than you grow weary and tired. They feel like giving up on the fight. And young men stumble and fall. 
But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. The psalmist says it this way, so that your youth, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's what he says. So where's your thankfulness, thankfulness meter? There'll be two meters on the screen. Go ahead. Up, up, there you go. Yep, there we go. Where is it? Is it on the, my left or my right of the screen? Answer that quietly. Here's the challenge. Focus on God's perfect character versus focusing on the stressors of this world is the difference between your gratitude meter being on empty or full. I think one of the biggest issues facing the church in, is our focus in a polarized world. If we think we can grow spiritually while holding on to or focusing on all the things that drive us apart, we are sadly mistaken. We can't. Our eyes must be focused on one person, not the three or the four. One person of Jesus Christ. In closing, I'm going to have you sit back and enjoy some so a song in just a minute. During that song, I want you to think about, where is my thankfulness meter? I want you to answer this question. What has your focus? Almighty God or personal struggles? Polarized, polarized world. Which one has it? And as the song plays, it's, it's going to be Chris Tomlin, Nobody Loves Me Like You. As that song plays, I want you to watch the lyrics fly up on the screen. And I want you to, I want you to place yourself in this, in this psalm. You're David. You're struggling. You don't even know where to turn to be thankful. <clears throat> and I want you to ask yourself two questions other than where's your focus. One, how's my relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I even have one? Two, have I forgotten his benefits, his unmerited blessings? In the midst of all the stuff that's happening, in the midst of all the failures that I've had in my spiritual walk, in the midst of all of that stuff, have I forgot how good my God really is? And then I want you to think of how you're going to do this this week. How are you going to do this? Don't walk out of here without a plan. Because I'm telling you, as soon as you step outside, I would even bet to say, if I was a betting man, as soon as you step outside your, your pew, Satan will attack it. He will. I can't tell you how many times I've started this this journey over the last several weeks where I've said, going to be thankful today. And the first phone call of the day challenged that. Let's work at a faith church together. Not a perfect pastor. Never proclaimed to be one. Don't play one on TV either. And make mistakes. But I'm going to choose to be thankful for the God that is good.
in spite of it all. How about you? Give a listen to the song.
Nobody. Nobody loves you like him. Jesus loves you. That's the message I wanted to get across this morning. He sees you with all of your weaknesses and all of your failures, me included, and offers you all of these unmerited blessings. That's the kind of God we serve. Let's pray together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We truthfully do thank you that these are unmerited blessings. They don't depend on us getting it right every decision we make. But they depend on you, the covenantal love that you have for us. The fact that you would send your only begotten son to a cross for a sinful people is powerful enough. But then not only do you offer us forgiveness, you offer us so much more. You take us out of pits and put us on strong land. You offer us goodness and love and compassion. You are not an angry God as some would want us to believe. Yes, you have your anger and it needs to be dealt with. But Lord, you do not look at us every day angry at us. You see the good and you know us better than anybody else. And Lord, it's time for our world to stop looking for the bad and start looking for your goodness in all that is happening. Help us, Lord, as Faith Church over the next three weeks to start to shift our thinking. It's going to be a battle. It's easy to be bitter. It's easy to be mad. It's easy to hold on to hurts, but it's work. It's work to give those hurts to you. Help us to do that, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you that we are now not enemies at the table, those of us who know you. We're not enemies of you, but we are friends at the table. We are brothers and sisters at the table with you. And we'll be careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise for what you do through this series and how you transform our minds, as the Apostle Paul says, so that we can worship you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 